Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Last week, we started a series that we're calling I Doubt It. Basically, we're looking at some different reasons why we tend to doubt God and trying to kind of answer those questions, not from necessarily a historical perspective or give you a bunch of research, um, but from a faith's perspective. And so how can, how can we live out our faith even in those moments of, of doubting either God's goodness or God's activity or when we can't see quite what he's doing. And last week, um, I preached from the title of Without a Doubt, where we looked at Peter and talked about how sometimes we can focus on our problems, the issues around us, that it causes us to doubt because we take our eyes off of, of, off of Jesus, the stability in our lives. This morning, I want to continue this series, and my title this morning is More Than a Feeling. More than a feeling. Look at the person beside you and say, I got more than a feeling. If that seemed inappropriate, turn to the other person on your other side and say, I got more than a feeling. Um, most of you did not know this, um, but uh, I played uh, Division I college basketball. Why are you laughing? <laughs> All right, let me clarify. I played intramural basketball at a Division I college. All right, let me clarify. I played one game of intramural basketball at a Division I college. Here's, here's how it happened. I had some friends who had an intramural basketball team. And I, I didn't play on the intramural basketball team, but I would play basketball with them like in the in the park. And so one particular game, they realized they were going to be short a player. So they asked, Jonathan, would you be willing to play? I'm like, sure, I can do that. Now, I go into this assuming that, like, I'm the sixth man, so I'm not really going to have to do anything. Turns out they only had five. If you know anything about basketball, it means I'm playing. So I get there, and I can already tell this is going to be an experience. And we do the tip-off. Not far into the game, some moron passes me the ball. And so I'm up top on the wing, and there's a guy on the block down low. And I think he's open. So I'm thinking, I'm going to pass it to him. This is going to be awesome. Like, first two minutes of this game, they're going to know why they asked Jonathan to sub in when they didn't have enough players. He's wide open. I pass it to him. Literally, this dude comes out of nowhere. I think he was an angel comes out of nowhere, steals the ball, runs to the other end of the court, and it, it happens so fast, but it also happened in slow motion. So I, I think he turned around and like said something about my mama and insulted me and then went to the other end of the court, slammed it down with two hands and looked back at me. It was in that moment that I realized that everybody that I was playing basketball with and against played high school basketball and many of them could have played Division II basketball if they would have wanted to. It was in that moment that I realized that everybody else on that basketball court that day had an experience that I didn't have. How many of you feel like 
as you live your life, that a lot of the people around you have an experience that you don't have. Like, they seem to have it together, don't they? And you've wondered, what do they have? They seem to be happy. And you're wondering, what, what do they have? They seem to have some sort of like secret to life figured out that you haven't quite figured out, that you haven't quite experienced. And what I've noticed is that a lot of times people that feel like that, that feel like they've been left out and that other people have it so much better than they do, a lot of times those kind of people blame it on themselves. And so they decide, well, I must not be good enough because I don't have it. Because I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not happy all the time. I must be missing something. I must not be worth much. And what I've noticed is that a lot of people carry that mindset into their faith. When it comes to their faith, when it comes to their belief in God, oftentimes people tend to feel like I am missing something that everyone else seems to have. Like I want to get it. I want to feel God's presence. I want to feel him working. I, I, I want to hear a song like we just heard, and I want to get into it. And I want to raise my hands, and I want to appreciate that, that, that God has rescued me for some things, but I, I, just don't, I just don't feel it. I just don't feel, other, feel God the way others do. Some of you today, you don't have a faith. You don't have a relationship with Jesus, and the reason is is because you've never felt like one of those kind of people. You want to believe, but you've never felt it. Some of you are doubting your faith. You have a relationship with Jesus, but sometimes you doubt that and you doubt your faith because you don't seem to feel it like other people who follow Jesus feel it. You know, you hear other people pray. Their prayers are coherent. Their prayers seem to touch the heart of God. You love to hear them pray, but then you sit down to pray. Five seconds later, you find yourself unloading the dishwasher. Or maybe you, maybe you do come to church and everybody around you seems to be experiencing something. They seem to be feeling it. They feel the goosebumps. They feel Holy Spirit moving. But yet you're just, you just feel like you're, you're missing it. And some of you today are doubting God and his presence and his activity in your life. And it's because you've boiled your faith down to a feeling and you feel like you're missing it. There's a guy in the Bible by, name, by the name of Thomas who felt a little bit like that. Thomas actually had two names, like most people in his time. His Aramaic name was Thomas. His Greek name was Didymus. Both of those names, by the way, mean twin. So you should ask me, who was his twin? We don't know. We don't know who his twin was, but I think as I go through this story, I think some of you are going to kind of feel like you're his twin because you're going to be able to relate to how he felt and what he felt like he was missing. So I want us to go back to the scene right after the resurrection of Jesus. Right after the re resurrection of Jesus, and see, while Jesus was, was on the earth, he called these friends, these disciples, around him. He lived life with these disciples. He did ministry with these disciples. He healed with these disciples. And the disciples' job was to take what Jesus did, follow it, and then after Jesus had died, been resurrected, ascended into heaven, they were to carry the message to the rest of the world. But if you've read the Gospels, you know that the disciples, like us a lot of times, just didn't quite get it, right? I mean, they seem to miss the boat on a lot of things. Sometimes you're like, come on, y'all. 
like Jesus is right there and you still missed it. A lot of them, a lot of them missed it. Thomas is one of Jesus' disciples. Thomas missed it too. As a matter of fact, we see in John 11 where Thomas basically gives up all hope and basically says, okay, well, Jesus is just going to die. It was a good run. We're just, he, he's just going to die. He's going to be buried. All of this was, was just a show. Nothing's going to happen. So even Thomas didn't seem to quite understand the point and what Jesus was doing. So you can imagine when Thomas hears that Jesus has risen from the dead, not Saul, but when he hears that Jesus has risen from the dead, you can imagine the feeling that he had. Because he felt like that he had missed an experience that everyone else was able to have. So let's put ourselves in Thomas's shoes for just a moment. John 20 tells the story. Peter and John go to the empty tomb. They see the empty tomb. They stoop down. They look in it. Jesus was there. Now he's not. They see the empty tomb. Y'all should clap right there because the tomb is empty. They see the empty tomb. Not only that, but Mary Magdalene actually sees the risen Jesus. She has a conversation with the risen Jesus. So now if you're Thomas, you have three people that you know and that you trust that are telling you this story that Jesus has risen from the dead. He probably like wanted to believe it, right? But he, he couldn't because he, had, he hadn't experienced it. Now, if it's me and I'm Thomas, I've got to call Pete and John over and say, Pete, John, are you sure that you saw the tomb of Jesus? Were you using Apple Maps? Because sometimes Apple Maps can take me to the wrong place. So are you sure, like, you didn't miss the tomb? Did you take a right when you're supposed to take a left? Are you sure it was Jesus' tomb? Are, are you sure, like, somebody didn't come and steal the body? Like, that couldn't have happened because the stone would have been too heavy. But are, are y'all sure? And I would also wanted to talk to old Mary and say, Mary, listen, you're a little hysterical right now. We just saw Jesus crucified. He was on the cross. Yes, I, I know you think you saw him, but it's probably just like an emotional thing because you just saw him die. Mary, maybe, maybe you need to, to go lay down. And then on top of all of that, Thomas finds out that all of the other disciples had seen the risen Jesus. They were in a locked room. Jesus comes into the locked room, shows himself to them, speaks peace to them, and then breathes on them. And Thomas missed it. Now, we don't know where Thomas is. He's probably waiting on a table at Texas Roadhouse, or maybe he was out riding around looking at Christmas lights or something like that. But Thomas is, isn't there when he appears to all of the other disciples. And so when Thomas gets back, the other disciples are like, listen, Thomas, listen, you'll never believe what we saw. We saw the risen Jesus. And Thomas is like, no, you're, you're right. There's no way I can believe it. There's no way Jesus is alive. And this story you're telling me, there's certainly no way that Jesus would have shown up and left me out. Even if he had risen from the dead, Jesus wouldn't leave me out like that. So Thomas has to feel rejected, left out by the disciples, but also rejected by Jesus. He's angry, he's left out, and he's faithless because he feels like everyone else had an experience that he didn't have. So then Thomas finally has enough, and this is what he tells the disciples in John 20, 25. 
He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. So Thomas makes this big request in order to actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, if we're looking back on that, and we know everything I just told you about him being a disciple, following Jesus around, doing ministry with Jesus, if we look back on that, it seems ridiculous that he couldn't believe it, doesn't it? I mean, you got to be thinking, right? I mean, Thomas was with Jesus. He was there when Jesus fed 15, 20,000 people, like we talked about last week, with just some, some fish and some loaves. He was there when Peter walked on the water, like we talked about last week. He was there when Jesus spoke and healed people. He was there when Jesus calmed the storm. He was there for the raising of Lazarus. Do y'all remember that story? Lazarus had been dead for four days. Jesus shows up, speaks to him, and he comes out dancing. So how in the world could Thomas not believe that Jesus could actually raise himself? It sounds crazy until we think about all of the evidence that we miss too because we haven't had the experience and don't have the feeling. Have you ever thought about the evidence of God? Have you ever thought about the human body? Have you ever watched a baby be born? Here, we have an example of it. video. I'm just kidding. Woo! Y'all were like, I should have taken my kid to children's ministry. But have you, ever, have, you ever, have, you, have you ever thought about the body? Like, I'm not a doctor, but I read, okay, I Googled that we have 100,000 miles of blood vessels in our body. Did you know that every second we produce 25 million cells? 25 million? 25 million? 25 million? 25 million? And that's not it. Have you ever thought about the things that you have that you don't deserve? The fact that you still have breath in your lungs? The fact that all of us in the room have eaten within the past 24 hours? Most of us got to choose what we wanted? Have you ever thought about the people God's put around you? The relationships you have? The spouse you have? The family you have? The kids you have? Have you ever thought about the fact with all that you've done, all of the mess ups and stupid stuff you've done, but yet he still loves you. Even when you don't have a feeling or an experience with God, you can still trust that he's real because the evidence is there. Let me ask you a question. What is limiting your belief? Not just in believing in God or not just having a relationship with Jesus, but really, what's limiting your belief? What's limiting you from believing that Jesus really is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do? Is it maybe how somebody's treated you in the past? Maybe somebody else claimed to be a Christian and you literally had the thought, if they're a Christian, I don't want any part of it. Maybe it was something you endured as a child. Maybe you were abused as a child. Maybe it's injustice. Maybe it's watching innocent people suffer. And so you begin to think, well, how, how, how can God be good? Maybe it's the hurt you feel in the past, or maybe it's your self-worth, and so you have trouble believing that God really is who, he's, who he says he is. For Thomas here, it seemed like the thing that was holding him up from believing was rejection, was being hurt, and was being left out because he hadn't seen Jesus yet. He hadn't had the experience that everybody else has, and so he refuses to believe. You ever had something happen to you that when you tried to tell other people about it, they wouldn't believe you? Melissa and I, a few years ago, we were in the Publix parking lot in Taylor's. 
And we pull up, we were parked in our parking spot, and we hear screeching tires. Screeching tires, and then we hear a crash. Two SUVs had ran into each other. So just thinking it was your average bump up in a parking lot, we start to get out of the car. Well, that's when the chaos ensues. Literally, these two SUVs for the next 15, 20 seconds begin having a demolition derby in the public's parking lot. I don't know who made who mad, but they start hitting each other. Both cars look like they had been flipped upside down. Finally, about 15 seconds into this, one goes up on the, on, on the sidewalk. Don't know how they didn't hit anybody. Goes up on the sidewalk, speeds around the other one, runs the red light, and heads up Wade Hampton. When I told people that story after, they didn't believe me. Thank you. You know why they didn't believe me? Because they didn't see it. It wasn't personal to them, and so we can fault Thomas all we want. But he hasn't seen the risen Jesus yet. He was having trouble believing, and so he makes this crazy request. He wants to put his hands in Jesus' scars. He wanted a feeling to prove what Jesus had done. Isn't having faith easy when you're feeling it? Like, it's easy to trust in God when you can see what God is doing. When things are going good, when the bills are being paid, when you get the promotion, when you get the new job, when you meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright, when, when, when you feel good, when you're coming to church and you're having the goosebumps and you're having the experience, it's really easy to have faith. But it's a lot harder to have faith when you're not feeling it, isn't it? It's hard to believe when things are in shambles. It's hard to believe when you haven't had the goosebumps in a long time. It's hard to believe when you're not feeling it. And here is why. Because we often confuse how we feel with what's true. Our society today operates on feelings so much, don't we? I just feel. Do what you feel. Do whatever you feel is best. There's a difference between how you feel and what's true. Did you know your feelings will lie to you? My feelings told me that I should be playing in an intramural college basketball game. <laughs> your feelings, they'll, they'll lie to you, but don't we say that a lot? Like, I just feel. I say that a lot. I just don't feel like I should. I just feel like you should. I just don't feel like they should. I just feel like, like they shouldn't. But did you know that your feelings will lie to you, and you cannot always trust your feelings. And what happens is we often bring this interest in thinking that our feelings are true into our faith life. And so if I'm not feeling good, if I don't feel good, if I don't feel God, then he's not real. You may not feel him, but he's real. And your opinion ain't going to change it. Thomas wants a feeling, and it's almost like Thomas makes this ridiculous bargain and says, all right, prove it, Bubba. If you want me to believe, you got to show me something. And he bargains with God. Anybody else ever bargain with God? Like you've got something God needs? Like you've got something to offer God. Like, God, if you'll just, I'll just. Some of you are here this morning because you bargained with God that the Jags would win last night. Wow, that seemed really personal to a few people. Have you ever tried to, tried to bargain with God? 
God, if you'll just take me out of this, if you'll just save me from this, then I will. That's almost what like Thomas is doing here. And I think sometimes God honors those requests because he loves us that much. But I don't think a lot of times it's how we would want, just like it is for Thomas here. Verse 26 says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. <laughs> Wouldn't you imagine, like, Thomas is like, I ain't going nowhere away from you guys. <laughs> Olive Garden ain't that good. Texas Roadhouse ain't that good. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. So Jesus shows back up, and it's almost the exact same way he did the first time when Thomas was wherever he was. And did you notice that Thomas doesn't even have to verbally ask Jesus to see, to put his hands in the scars? Jesus knows what he wants. And how does Jesus handle it? He doesn't laugh at Thomas. He doesn't say, ha, from now on you're going to be known as Doubting Thomas, you loser. He doesn't say, dude, are you stupid? You were there when I raised Lazarus. Could you not believe that I could come back from the dead? No, Jesus doesn't do any of that. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't fuss him. Instead, Jesus looks at this man who's feeling rejected, hurt, broken, left out, and says, peace be with you. Here I am. So Thomas responds and says, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now here's the really interesting part of this story. If you've been in church or if you know this story, you probably think that it ends with Jesus, with Thomas touching the scars of Jesus, Thomas believing in the story. Or, if you've never heard this story before, this probably isn't the ending that you were looking for. I mean, I would expect, and I guess I've always just kind of assumed, that Thomas felt Jesus, had this big aha moment, and started believing. But it doesn't say that. Thomas didn't put his finger in the scars of Jesus. He didn't wipe some blood off of Jesus' forehead. He didn't run up to Jesus and give him a big bear hug. None of that. Instead, Thomas believed simply by seeing Jesus. Here's what I think God wants to say to some people this morning who have been waiting on a feeling to feel something, to feel like you belong, to feel like you matter, to feel like God's moving, to feel the Holy Spirit inside of you. I think what God wants you to tell you today is that he is more than a feeling and that faith isn't a feeling. Faith is having a sincere hope in something you can't see. Even when you don't feel it, you need an encounter with Jesus. You need to remember who he is. We don't know if Thomas ever reached out his finger. I think I would have at that point. We don't know if he ever touched the scars of Jesus. What we do know is that Jesus showed up in a personal way and Thomas believed. That leads me to this question. Where in your faith life have you been waiting on God to do something big so that you can feel like he did it? When he's been active, 
It's just been in small ways that are still miraculous. Where have you been waiting on a feeling when Jesus is saying, I don't want to give you a feeling. I want to give you a relationship with me. I just want to walk with you through life. I just want to be there when you need a friend. I just want to be there when you need somebody. I just want to be there when you're confused. You're not always going to feel me, but I am always with you. Where have you been waiting on feeling? And Jesus is saying, here, see me? You can trust me. You can believe me. Thomas didn't need a feeling. He needed a conversation. And he didn't even need a conversation. He needed a revelation, a revelation that feelings can come and go, but Jesus is living and raised from the dead forever. And did you notice what Thomas says when he sees Jesus? He says, my Lord, my God. In that moment, I think what Thomas gets is what Jesus has done, who Jesus is, but just as importantly, I think Thomas sees who he is to Jesus. That he was worth Jesus showing back up in the same room at the same way. Some of you today, You've forgotten what Jesus says you are. You've forgotten who Jesus says you are. You've forgotten the significance of who you are in Jesus. Can I just remind you that Jesus says you are deeply loved? He says you are secure in him. He says that you are chosen. He says that you, if you have a relationship with him, that you are a royal priesthood. He says that you have a purpose. He says that you're a loved child. He says that you are valuable. He says you have purpose. He says he has his eye on you. He says he has your back. He says you're worth being beaten and spat on. He says you're worth dying for. He says you're worth getting out of the grave for. Jesus calls you his child. That is who you are to him. And some of you today need to be reminded that even when you don't feel it, it doesn't change who you are to your Savior. Look at how this chapter ends in verse 30. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So in other words, we've written some of these things down, but there's so much more to what Jesus did and what, who Jesus is. Why are they written down? Part of the reason they're written down is because when you're walking through life and you don't have faith in how you feel, you need something stronger than how you feel. You need truth even when you don't feel it. When your feelings are contradicting the truth, you need some truth that you can stand on. And that is this Bible. That is the Word of God. Did you know that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, did you know that they are all recorded within 40 to 60 years of Jesus raising from the dead and ascending into heaven. And why is that important? Because 40 to 60 years is the same generation would still have been alive. So it wouldn't have been long enough for fiction to overtake truth. Did you know that the New Testament alone, there are roughly 6,000 surviving manuscripts? If you compare those 6,000 manuscripts 
there's a 99.5% accuracy between those, those 6,000 manuscripts. The differences are grammatical or copyist errors. That is something that you can stand on even when you don't have a feeling. He's real, y'all. So, will you believe, will you muster up the strength to believe even without a feeling? Will you make a move towards Jesus and lean in to the truth and lean into who he is even though you don't feel it? Not, not waiting until you do feel it. Not waiting until everything goes well. But will you look at Jesus and say, I believe, I may not feel it, but today I believe it. I believe the Bible. I believe you're with me. I believe you love me. I believe I am who you say I am. I believe you're providing for me. I believe you can do again what you've done in the past. I believe even when I don't feel it. So God, today I'm just going to trust you because I have a feeling that you're so much more than I could imagine in the first place. Will you take a step back towards Jesus even if you don't feel like it? Because he's worth it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, some of you this morning need a, res- a chance to respond so that you can enter into a relationship with Jesus. You've been waiting to feel some sort of goosebumps. Like you can, you, can, you can believe this whole Jesus thing. It's just you've been waiting to feel it. Well, today's your day. You need to accept Jesus even without the feeling. Some of you need a relationship with Jesus because you've been trying to feel something on your own, by your own strength, by your own power, by trying different things, and it just isn't filling you up. You need a relationship with Jesus. If that's you today, in the quietness of this moment, you can say this prayer in your heart. There's nothing magical about it. It's just more of a confession. You can just say, Jesus, I surrender. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you rose for me. Today, I confess that I mess up, but that you're perfect. Today, I put my faith in you. I'm going to surrender my life to you. I'm going to follow you to the best of my ability, even when I'm not feeling it. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember the first time somebody called me a disciple of Jesus. Yeah, disciple. Had a nice ring to it. It felt um, strong. You realized you were a part of something much bigger than yourself. Sometimes it was really, really tough. See, I, I can't begin to describe just how disorienting things were back then. I mean, one minute Jesus is telling you about uh, the gift of life, and the next minute it seems like he's just going to let us drown in the middle of the sea. Hmm. Spoiler alert, we didn't drown. Sure seemed like we were going to. Looking back on it, I realized that Jesus didn't waste a moment. I mean, he was always showing us that he was who he said he was. Which, I know, begs the question, how can we doubt him? Yeah, I tend to be the one that gets asked that more than anybody. 
because for some reason, Doubter has been connected with my name. For the record, I wasn't the only one who doubted. It's just, I wasn't there the day that Jesus appeared to everyone else. I, I, I was gone, and, and so I didn't, there, finality of death, it has a, uh, a choking grip on all of us. And on that day that Jesus was crucified, when um, death swallowed him up, and then there was the day that um, he showed me his hands and the scars. And he said, Thomas, you believe because you see. But there's going to be people who believe and don't see. And that night changed everything. I mean, I was still a disciple, but now, now it was impossible sent to share the good news, to tell a story. You know, there's a, uh, there's another word. Yeah, started with a few of us, began to spread. I think it's the best word of all. It says everything that needs to be said because we realize it wasn't about how well we believed. It was about who we believed in. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Yeah, from that moment on, we were called believers. Can I ask you a question? I guess I can because I have a microphone. What is stopping you from fully believing this story? What is limiting your faith? Got it? Some of you knew it right away, didn't you? Where do you need faith at right now? What do you need to see God do that will truly make you a believer? I want to pray. I just want to pray that God will reveal Himself. Thomas needed Jesus to show up. He didn't need to feel Jesus necessarily, but he needed Jesus to show up. So I want to pray for you that Jesus would show up in those places you're having a hard time believing. 
and that he would show up in that place right now where you need faith. God, I thank you. I thank you for an incredible church. An incredible church full of broken, messed up, faith-filled people. I thank you for a church where you can be broken, messed up, and faithless and still belong. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's living and active. It's not an outdated book, but it's your word directly to us. And Lord, I thank you for the people that are here today, even in the midst of missing a feeling, even in the midst of their doubts. Jesus, would you just meet them in those moments where they do muster up enough strength to come to you, even though they're not feeling like it. Jesus, not that you give them goosebumps, but that you remind them of who they are in you. God, how often early in the morning you remind me that I'm secure in your love. God, would you remind them of that as well? God, I declare faith in this place. I declare that faith is being restored. I declare that faith is being renewed. I declare that the places that we need faith, that we are going to have exactly what we need. I declare that we are not going to operate by feeling, but we're going to operate with a sincere hope on the thing that we can't see, but we truly believe. Thank you for the privilege of teaching these amazing people. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.